If you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a Big Mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your McDonald's bag as a placemat, then that wasn't a road trip. It was just a really long drive. At participating McDonald's. The realest podcast ever. The realest podcast ever. Y'all's the hate on all of my moves, but now niggas on it. Y'all used to bait me on me and my views, but now niggas on it. I used to tell them I had me a show, but now niggas on it. Her homies on it. Your homies on it. Y'all's the hate on all of my moves, but now niggas on it. Y'all used to bait me on me and my views, but now niggas on it. I used to tell them I had me a show, but now niggas on it. Her homies on it. Your homies on it. The realest podcast ever. The realest podcast ever. The realest podcast ever. Because well, I, I I never the heard anonymous before yeah, yeah, yeah. before you hit me up. You hit me you hit me up. It was me. Okay, I wasn't sure which one. Oh, yeah. I thought he was asking what we're on. I'm like, yeah, we're on. We on now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, all right. Yeah, yeah, we on now. Uh, the realest podcast ever, episode 150. I'm your host C Diddy. I am Matt. Makes me sick. Um, today, uh, for this, what is with these headphones, yo? What do you mean? They're, they're like choppy. Oh no, my drums sound perfect. All right, cool. Mine tell tear. I'm gonna just take them off. Can you hear me? All right, cool. <laughs> as long as y'all can hear yeah. me, that's fine. I'm going to abandon the head. I'm going to go sans headphones today. Uh, episode 150, Realest Podcast Ever. And for today's episode, man, we got a special guest. Uh, y'all know, you know, we've been doing a lot of interviews covering, like, you know, the music scene, people that make the thing go, and the media game, stuff like that. Today, we're on the art and culture side of the sphere. And uh, we wanted to... Ha- I-, I had a social media conversation about food and restaurants and stuff in philly and from that i became aware of this gentleman and uh if one thing we get right in philly is food philadelphia <laughs> food scene is pretty lit. it's it's yeah. pretty freaking lit it's, it's one easy. of the best in the country and uh this gentleman 2020 esquire magazine chef of the year 2020 esquire magazine pop-up of the year also one of time magazine's 100 people to watch for 2021 Super duper excited to have him here. Special guest, Chef Omar T. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. Appreciate it. Appreciate you being here with Ta- us today, Taylor, brother. Taylor's really good, man. Ta- Taylor's on point. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. Yeah, Taylor, Taylor's getting a nice salary and expense account mm-hmm. when uh, when we blow up, when this thing. when It's going to be new balances <laughs> everywhere. <laughs> <laughs> oh, shit. For sure. So uh, again, man, we appreciate you being here today with us, man. We can't uh, say thank you enough. Um, you are a major figure in the city, but at the same time, I feel like everybody doesn't necessarily know your story, right. and that's the reason why we wanted to make sure that we got an interview with you before you get too far gone, and then we can't get you on the phone. <laughs> right, then you're not responding <laughs> because it's coming. <laughs> so, uh, with that being said, man, you know, whenever we have guests, we like to try to, uh, you know, like start from the beginning, have you tell a little bit of your backstory, just to connect to our audience. We have uh, like a different kind of audience in the average podcast. Our audience kind of like encompasses some younger people, like 19, 20 years old up to like 50 but it's a lot of like professional working class people middle management executives stuff like that attorneys few doctors few gangsters yeah. but uh gotta have them in there yeah. <laughs> but you know everything so um you know you're somebody that's broken a lot of barriers uh being from the city and in the culinary world in general um and you've kind of like redefined what can be accomplished for somebody that's from the inner city 
um, being a chef, being in that culinary world. So I kind of want to start by asking you, where did you grow up and how was your upbringing? Uh, I, I grew up in, in Germantown, um, this neighborhood called The Hollow, like right off uh, Very familiar. Wayne, Wayne Avenue, yeah. if y'all familiar with Uptown. I used to drive 65. Yeah, okay. Basically. Oh, the bus? Mm-hmm. Okay. That long ass ride, man. <laughs> <laughs> yes. The bus? Yeah. <laughs> no, I used to take that bus from uh, from Germantown to, to West Philly all the time because oh, my best friend lives in Oakland. Yeah. 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 But uh, I grew up in Germantown, single mom, oldest of four. You know, she bought her first house at the age of 24. Um, and so, like, a lot of my a lot of my resiliency, my backbone comes from my mother. You yeah. know what I mean? Right. Um, but, you know, I mean, I went to public school. Standard stuff. I, I went. I got bus to a school in the Northeast, and like oh. I, I like to tell people that I pretty much have the equivalent of a, a eighth grade education because when I went, to, went got bus to school in the Northeast, um, everything I was being taught in middle school, I came back and went to high school at Dobbins. Okay. Um, everything we were being taught in, in taught middle school the same thing all taught over me again. the same thing all over again. So like a lot of my education is a self education, self made education. Gotcha. You know, like growing up in my house though, my mom made it a, a strong point to make sure that we read, that we knew our history. You know, my my grand my grandparents' generation were Black Panthers from South Philly, so my family migrated from South Carolina um, to to uh, Philly in 1929. Okay. And my grandfather, who I never met, he passed at the age of 43, was a Black Panther, and so was my my uncle Harold. Um, I mean, my 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 family is like ten toes deep yeah, <laughs> in yeah, Philly. Yeah. My uncle Butch owns a church in North Philly right now. Um, my, my my other aunt and uncle are deacons. So where was the know. church at? Uh, off of Glenwood. Off of Glenwood, it's like. It's across the street from a school in North Philly. I haven't been there in years. Okay. Yeah, but um, you know, just legacy, legacy, yeah. legacy, man. So, what would you say were uh, maybe like some of the challenges for you, like you know, growing up, um, you know, being a teenager in Philly? In uh, how old are you, by the way? Thirty. I'll be thirty-five tomorrow. Thirty-five. Okay, I'm thirty-eight. Oh, happy next. birthday! Yeah. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. Oh, this is right on time. Yeah, man. So, uh, like, ex- explain like you know maybe some of the challenges and like the terrain that you had to navigate through being you know like a teenager in the '90s and the early 2000s and I mean, in a city like Philly. <laughs> Honestly, I mean, stop and frisk. <laughs> that, was, that, was, that was a big one. I mean, the, the first the first time I ever had cuffs on me, I was 14 years old. Damn. It was 10 o'clock at, at night, and the cops pulled up on me and my friends. And um, they said we were out too late. We violated curfew. So they put us in cuffs and threw us in the back of the car, drove us around, dropped us off at home. And then my mom got fined 25 fucking dollars. You know what I mean? That she made Nonsense. me pay for being, you know <laughs> for being outside. Because I, I had a job at 14. I mean, I think like the biggest challenge that I think face, faces a lot of young black men um, from the city and even in rural areas around the country is that um, we're made to be men at a very young age. You know, my father wasn't really in my life. Um, I, I don't know anyone who had a father in their household that right. I grew up with. You know what I mean? Yo, straight really. up and down. We had this conversation one day, like around my neighborhood. Straight and up. Like, uh, shout out K Rock. We was talking about me, him, and Dickie. And Dickie was like, yo, it's like six of y'all around the way. Right. Mm-hmm. We had your pops in the crib. And dead ass. Like me, K Rock, Kyle, Duty. Yo, it's a, it's a phenomenon, like, right? Like after yeah. that, it's just like, damn, like you really look around the hood and it's just like, yeah, like that shit is real. Yeah. Well, I mean, my, my wife is only. The second woman in my life that I've ever met where I had to meet her pops. You know what I mean? Damn. So yeah. Yeah, like what like that says a lot about like how yeah, we how we yeah. grow up. I mean, these were fourteen year old boys raising other fourteen year old boys. Yeah. My mom was at work all the time. So like that that colors a lot of my experience as a as a, as a teenager. Right. You know, the first person I ever knew was murdered. Um he was seventeen, I was fourteen. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. So like seeing people on t-shirts you know mad early yeah, you, you get right. you become desensitized to violence right and like you kind of see 
what that what the legacy and the generational trauma is now in a year like 2021 where like children are literally running the streets murdering other children Yo. like, nothing Yo. the crazy so, part is how much of it gets like you see now mm-hmm. the videos the, right. the, the 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 ring cameras the door cameras i saw one the other day it's just mm-hmm. like broad daylight mayhem yeah. like this shit is nuts i mean social media right like you look at pages like no gun zone and 911 yeah. philly like it makes you think that that's all that's happening like if that's your media that's your consumer it makes right. you think that that's all that's happening in you the just city. made me think about it so I, I started this new documentary it's called trial by media have you seen that on no. netflix and then y'all seen it you seen it so each episode basically covers like a big issue that happened in our lives but showing how the media you know shape the perception shape of- the perception of who did this or who did what or they made this guy out to be a hero but he wasn't or made mm-hmm. these kids out and um one of the situations is about the subway shooter from 84, the white guy that shot the four black kids saying mm. they, were, they were trying to rob him. But turns out they were like chilling and he just was on some like, I'm, I'm shooting, I'm these shooting niggas. niggas today. Yeah. You know what I'm saying? And long story short, the, the guy who was one of the head journalists for the New York Times, he said that around that time, like 82, 83, he's like, if you look at the news from before 82, 83, the news that came on the television was like positive. He's like, and then in journalism, there was like an unwritten rule where if it bleeds, it leads. Mm-hmm. And that's yeah. how like the sh- the 80s shifted to where now when the news comes on, three people shot over here, four people killed down here, three people got tired. Right. Like that's all it is. So it's like, I, t- I tell people a lot of times, I don't even follow them pages just because it's too negative. Mm-hmm. Like mm-hmm. that isn't all that's happening. And the flower show, <laughs> like it's all kinds of dope shit going on. But if you go on that page, you will really think that it's just cars driving up on the porches, people mm-hmm. running in the houses with yep. axes and tomahawks it's just like no nah, that's really not it man mm-hmm. I had a cheesesteak the other day shit was <laughs> <laughs> like you really will believe that that's all that's happening in Philadelphia right. so yeah I totally understand what you're saying yeah, it's, it's, it's crazy man it's, it's really crazy lean in for me for the oh yeah my fault <laughs> trying to lean back but uh, people always do it they get yeah. comfortable get cool you can lean back but we gonna take the mic with take you, the mic with you. Yeah. Oh, yeah. um but no like you said it's it's, it's crazy so like yeah. i'm really happy that a podcast like like this don't exist because thank you you know this is this is what's needed you know if you went on a road trip and you didn't stop for a big mac or drop a crispy fry between the car seats or use your mcdonald's bag as a placemat then that wasn't a road trip it was just a really long drive at participating McDonald's, especially like again, like positive black men doing something yeah. really dope with their lives. You know what I mean? Um, yeah, it throws me off. Like when I have older people come up to me, like I love the podcast. I'll be like, Yeah, how you like, find this, John? Yeah, who sent you? <laughs> <laughs> right, but no, that's definitely decent. I appreciate that. A lot. So no tell doubt. me this: where did where did your passion for cooking come from? Considering all of those different socioeconomic circumstances that existed, I didn't have a passion for it. So uh, I was taught to cook because my mom was working. Okay. And um, so my, my brother, um, Kasim, we're like, we're 18 months apart. Mm. So um, she taught us very young, one, we're not gonna depend on a woman to, to feed ourselves, but also we had we have two younger brothers that we needed to help feed and stuff like right. that. So mm. I actually didn't like cooking because it was taught to me as like a, a means to survival. You know what I mean? So yeah. it's like a chore. Um, and I actually started cooking because I lied on a resume. Um, <laughs> that is, That's how that is. Yeah. I lied on a resume. I, so I worked at the Philadelphia Marriott, at the, uh, the convention center, okay. for like two and a half, three years, okay. like that, um, as an overnight porter and a dishwasher. And I was just getting money, like doing my thing, whatever. I didn't care. Yeah. Um, 
but I was out of a job and I, I used to sell drugs or whatever. So when I was out of a job, I was selling drugs. Um, but I always wanted to keep a job while I was hustling. I, mean, yeah. I wasn't a good drug dealer by any means. Just, <laughs> yeah. just you putting just, that up, just going through the motions. I mean, look, man, like it was, it was easy. It supplemented my income. It let yeah. me go to like dumbass restaurants like Cobra Cup, Cobra. <laughs> <Yeah. laughs> you know, take take uh, take my girlfriends out, make it look like I had money. I rent yeah. cars and do just do dumb stuff. Yeah. But uh, I got fired from uh, from the Marriott because <laughs> I. Yo, just, this, is the, this is the best interview of all time. Because <laughs> that's really like the mentality of a young drug dealer. Man, I'm getting money. I'm going to the fucking five star restaurants. <laughs> Yo. <laughs> I got the big ass margaritas. Oh, it, was, it, was, it, was, it was stupid, man. It was stupid. Um, so I got fired because I didn't respect my job. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Um, and I used, I leveraged the, the, the proximity that I had to chefs and cooks at the Marriott as a dishwasher to say, yeah, I did some prep work on, a, on an application um, that was at a golf club called Rivercrest Golf Club in, okay. in Phoenix, yeah, which is yeah. like 30 miles outside of the city. Yeah. Um, and, and the funny story is I... Um, so this is how I got the job. I, I took, oh shit! In between, <laughs> in between the Marriott, I had a job at a Hilton hotel in Paoli. Okay. Um, and I got fired from there too because okay. I was late every day. Right. Um, but they, but the, but the dude was like, "Yo, I really appreciate your work ethic, but I just can't keep you on because you're late. But if you ever need anything, you know, hit me up. No one ever means that. Right. So I hit him up. Right. <laughs> um, Those like, offers you was yeah. offering. What's right. up? And all I needed was to use that same space as a place to catch a taxi to get to Phoenixville because at the time I was told that there was no public transportation out there. Okay. So I take a luxury taxi. It's Ramadan. I was raised Muslim. Okay, um, it was Ramadan, so I was I was you know um, uh, acknowledged Ramadan. I had twenty five dollars in my pocket. They order me a taxi, but the taxi shows up and it's a luxury car, okay. not a taxi. So I'm like, all right. So I get in this joint, <laughs> and um, you know I, the dude is Muslim, so we're riding up there. And I'm just watching the ticker go up, watching it go up, watching it go up. And when it like, hits, this like, gonna be bad. <laughs> yeah. So at like twenty four dollars, like, yo, brother, listen. When he puts it in park, you like, <laughs> no, he never parked it. That's the beautiful thing of the story. He never parked it. We were talking about Ramadan and Islam and fasting the whole time. And then when it got to twenty four dollars, I told him like, yo, listen, I'm going up for a job interview. I got twenty five dollars in my pocket. Um, this is all I got. If you could just get me there, I'll give you all twenty five dollars, and I'll just f- figure out how to get home. So he said, "Okay." We get to the golf club, and he said, "You know what, brother? Like, I'm gonna I'm gonna get blessings if I if I drop you off. You're, you're obviously here for a reason. Um, you were willing to give me everything you got. You keep it. I'm gonna receive blessings for this. Happy Ramadan, right? right. So I get off, nailed the interview. They asked me to start tomorrow, and um, I said I can't because I got family obligations. But really, I need to fig- needed to figure out how I was gonna get there. Yeah. I leave the golf club. I walk back out to the road where the where the taxi dropped me off at. And I turn around and there's a bus. And remember, I said there was no buses that come out here. Right. I get on the bus, the bus number 99 that comes from Camille yeah. out to Phoenixville. And um, I was like, yo, I thought there were no buses. I paid to get on. He said, oh, today's the first day of the route. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. Yeah. So, like, it just it felt like, you know, divinity. You know what yeah. I mean? So I got this. I got that job that day. Had a, had a way to work. I worked there for a year and a half. Um, and then after that, I just worked at the best restaurants in Philly for the next five years and then mm-hmm. moved to New York after that. What are some of the restaurants that you worked at in Philly? If you don't um, mind name dropping. Yeah, that's cool. I worked at Fork, um, a place that's no longer there called Russet. Um, I worked at Budokan. Okay. Um, it's my spot. I, I started at uh, Lebec Finn for a little I bit. I was about to say Lebec Finn was at one of them, yeah. I didn't work there for a long time. I, I just stodged there. I, I mean, that place was wild. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> it was wild. I mean, I, de- I dealt with a lot of stuff in my career, um, just like 
in hindsight, you don't, sometimes you don't realize that shit is racist until you look back. You and look like, back like that was racist. That was some racist shit. shit. <laughs> <laughs> oh, no, I'm walking. <laughs> Where's the racist? But cooking is weird. It's almost like the military when you're working at that level. This, this is fine dining. People don't really realize how yeah, many it's, it's different. It's real regimented, right? Right. Like how many different distinctions are. It's not like. McDonald's is a restaurant, but people don't look at it as a restaurant. It's almost like this public utility at, this, at yeah, a there, certain there's point. Like, there's food, and then there's fine dining. Right. So this fine dining is kind of like <laughs> the military. You go in there, and like you're completely removed of self-identity. So it's like almost hard to recognize um, uh, extreme cultural signals from any end of the spectrum. So like it really took a long time for me to recognize things that were, that were fucked up. You know, um, I don't regret any of it, but Lebec Finn was one of those kitchens where I walked in, and I was like, wait a minute. This this is fucked up. <laughs> yeah. uh, they produce some extremely good and talented cooks that are still you know around in the city right now, but the culture was just not for me. So I only um, I worked there for free for for a few days um, out of the week for a couple weeks. Yeah. Um, but it was also the most beautiful dinner service that I've ever seen in my life. Like a great dinner service almost looks like a symphony, man. Like yeah. you don't have to speak. There's the people are moving in in, in in like a dance kind of kind of yeah. way. Yeah. Um and it's artistic. Yeah, it's very, very beautiful, man. It's almost like a ballet. So um that was great. But uh where else did I work? A, a, a bunch a bunch of places. Yeah. There was one time where I held th- three jobs at once. One was at Friends Central School. I was the chef at a at a private school. Um and then I was the working on sixteenth Street? That joint right there yeah, off okay. the parkway. Yeah. I worked there for a month because I wanted I only worked there because I wanted my son to go to a private school. But it's crazy then to I think that Friends Central had an actual chef. They, yeah. uh, I don't think that they really wanted that. They, they had <laughs> like an uh, 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 old white lady <laughs> dropping meatballs potatoes. in the well, 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 look. So that's so the weird thing about that school. There are no old white ladies who work in the kitchen. Everything about that school is white until you get to the kitchen, which is almost historically accurate to anything that uh, that ever existed in the food business and food industry yeah. in America. It's almost always black and sometimes brown behind the curtain. Yo, so, listen, yeah. I swear to God, I was watching one of Paul Mooney over the stand-ups the other day, and he was saying how, um, you know what throws me off the most when I turn on the, the cooking channel, the Food Network? Mm-hmm. He's like, it's white people cooking. <laughs> <laughs> These motherfuckers cooking. <laughs> Real shit. He's like, you were saying for that, like they cook boiled water. It's like, mm-hmm. now they all got cooking shows and shit, but it's just like, yeah. Wow, like, man. Yeah. Wow. That, that school was run by three black women, an older black man, and then myself at that time. I worked there for a month because I wanted my son to have the opportunity to go to this really nice school. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But then I learned that they... We were all hired by contract outside of the school, so, oh, so that didn't even that didn't even transfer. Only people who couldn't get benefits at this school or benefit from the school were the kitchen workers who were one hundred percent African American. No, <laughs> so like it really is a. a it's everywhere. <laughs> what you would you say, Tyler? Am I hearing this right? Now? <laughs> like, yo, real talk. Like, They're serious. Yeah. They're serious. So I mean, that was one. But Damn. I was doing that and working two jobs, and and I went to community college for two months all at the same time. Um, as but I mean, I really wanted. I felt like being a chef could could define me. And then ultimately, when I moved to New York, I realized that that definition wasn't even really who I was in the first fucking place. So yeah, um, I, I didn't need that title anymore. So now I kind of I really look at myself as a as a fully encompassed artist. You know. Mm. So through all of those experiences, did you kind of begin to like gain a passion or appreciation for the art, like the culinary arts, or did it still just kind of like? you just a job and I'm just like here. Oh no, it was day one that I realized that this was something that I really wanted. Okay. So that first day that I started at the golf club, they they asked me to brunoise shallot and I didn't know what either one of those words meant. (laughs) But what I didn't know was that both of those words were possibility into a world that I never even knew existed. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? Like um, growing up, my mom cooked all the time, but she, she used what she knew, you know? Um, And 
she was a very curious person. She would bake, and like I said, we were raised Muslim, and so uh, she would adopt like Middle Eastern flavors and things like that. Mm-hmm. She was a nutritionist and a physician who taught um, black women health and exercise for free at the community center right. and ran a couple of gyms and stuff. Um, so there was a point where we were vegetarian, but again, it was like kind of within the framework of the things that she already understood. Yeah. So when I went into the kitchen and like learned what a shallot was, which is a small like sweeter onion, mm-hmm. um, learn about fennel and leeks and like all these things that I'd never seen before, but kind of show up in food in ways that we don't know all the time and right. different in different ways and places and spaces. I was like, oh, this is this piques my curiosity, you know, because I've always been into. It is crazy, but you you you, thirty five years old, and you still just be finding out like, what is that? <laughs> oh, all right, it tastes all right. Yeah, like, mm-hmm. and that's fourteen times. Yeah. <laughs> don't even right. realize. Yeah. Seriously, I mean, but that's you know. That, that's the thing about cultural exchanges, you know, as much as I love um, and, and embody and exude black culture, like humans nature is to communicate. We're, right. glo- we're global people, we, especially right. in a place like America where they say it's a melting, melting pot, pot right. you know, um, in a city like Philadelphia that has like the, the, probably one of the most complex ethnographic makeups of the entire country. Who needs an alarm in the morning? When McDonald's has sausage, egg, and cheese McGriddles. And a breakfast cutoff. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. It's just, how how can we not be curious, you know? Yeah. yeah. How would you uh, describe your style as a uh, fully accomplished culinary artist? Um, Style is a tough question. I mean, I think in, in practice, I probably start, I start from history, usually. Um, and then I use history to bridge contemporary themes. Like, I mean, for example, um, a, a dish that Honeysuckle, which is the name of the, the pop-up. Right. I, don't, I don't think we said it. <laughs> no, not <laughs> yet. Not <good. laughs> um, one of the dishes is called Clarindi, um, and the dish is actually named after, the- after a theater production that was produced by um, Paul Lawrence Dunbar and William Cook, mm-hmm. where uh, the play Clarindi w- was acted in by black actors um, in 1898 who wore blackface. Okay. Um, and so the dish itself um, was conceptualized over a meal of raw beef, bell peppers, onions, and beer. Um, and I, I used that as the basis for a beef tartare and coated the beef tartare as like a surf and turf that had squid ink in it. And so uh, using that history to bring forward a, a more modern more modern application of what food is, like right. this beef tartare, um, using black history as the foundational aspect. That's amazing. To, to, yeah, to that, I, that, listen, that I like... You're way past crab meat. <laughs> like, 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 these Philly shows. Like, no old man. Yeah. <laughs> you know, Philly, you, 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 ain't, you ain't had crab meat on rice. Right. <laughs> like, you way past all of that. I've had tuna tartare. I've haven't had beef tartare, though. It's, it's a very French thing. Yeah. And usually it's made with um, cornichons and Dijon. Okay. Um, shallots, typical French shit. Right. And um, to kind of turn that on its head and make it a very black thing, but also a, a, a not black thing because. It's, it's, it's a dish in and of itself that just exudes the nature of black cre- creativity. Yeah, the thing you know with I mean? chefs, at least the, the Philly chef, is like they get like one thing and then just mm-hmm. kind of like everybody. Like, remember we talking about the Thai chili? Yeah. Like that, <laughs> Thai chili is just. It's permeated the yeah, culture. Yeah, it's just mm-hmm. everywhere now. Mm-hmm. So it's just like, yeah, like the, that explanation was like, I got to try this. Specific <laughs> to chefs and sh- this not even on my list, but specific to chefs and chefing. Can you explain the difference in like the kitchen hierarchy mm-hmm. to people? Because there's a lot oh, of people out like, here like that's, just, that's just cooks that think they're a chef. Mm-hmm. And it's not the same thing. Like the people right. that get on my bus with the big boots. <laughs> <laughs> they ain't chefs. Yeah, they're chefs. No. You're a cook. You're working in the kitchen. Yeah. Most, most chefs, like executive chefs, 
are not working the line cooking. Right. Chefs are generals. Yeah, they're just they, like yelling at people. Yeah, <laughs> right. <laughs> and throwing plates yeah. and cussing people <laughs> the fuck out. You black ass <laughs> <laughs> No. I mean, a lot. Like, whoa, why can't I just be an ass? Why can't I be an ass? I mean, a lot, a lot of that's a lot of that stopped. But like most chefs are generals, they're telling people what to do. They're um, monitoring food costs and things, things like that, mm-hmm. um, uh, materials and, and equipment and stuff like that. Um, chef de cuisines and sous chefs monitor the day to day aspects of what the line cooks do, mm-hmm. um, and the executive chefs monitor that middle management. Um, right. So a, a chef de cuisine or a sous chef might also work the line, but also take some of that labor off of the executive chef with the numbers and figures and ordering and things like that. So who's the head person cooking then? The head person cooking? Yeah. People always say it's the executive chef. And sometimes it's true, but most times it's not. It's mostly the line cooks that work hourly that are executing all the food that you enjoy at restaurants. Right. But they're being given a set of directives from that middle management that's coming from the executive chef. And Mm -hmm. the sous chef is under the line. No, no. The sous chef is is middle management. Okay. So chef cuisines and sous chefs are middle management. And then the executive chef is upper management. Okay. And And then to get like even more granular and like these higher... Um, fine dining kitchens, the cooks, them, the line cooks themselves are, are separated in delegation as well, where like a chef de partie is the head of a cooking station. So like if you were, if there was a crab station, for example, there could be two or three cooks working the crab station because it's that intricate and a chef de partie would be like their general for that specific line. So it gets really... So a lot like of minutiae. Like, like a special teams coach mm-hmm. for the special team. Basically. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Right. Okay. Right. Damn. Yeah. It's a, it's a lot of... Uh, <laughs> a, lot of, a lot of muck <laughs> Right And then when you sit down You get this plate You're like Man that shit was good And then, right. you, le- and then you leave Right all you think about And then you don't know About all this stuff Happening yeah. in the background You know So Yeah like you're like An outback It's just like You know guys. Oh no out outback freezer. ain't like that Yeah Outback has a Has a dude With a chef coat And a clipboard That tells people To press the buttons On the microwave Yeah That's, that's what they do And people are real good At pressing those buttons <laughs> 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 That's crazy. So uh, we've, you know, we broached the name. We talked about it, uh, Honeysuckle Projects. Uh, what's the overall mission behind Honeysuckle Projects and the c- collective that you have? Because it's not as past just about being about food. Mm-hmm. It's bigger mm-hmm. than that. Yeah. So, I mean, you know, it started out as, you know, the pop-up experience that coalesced art, literature, and food. Because I'm a practicing artist and I write poetry. So, um, those meals would include people sitting down, they get a booklet that had the poetry and art um, where the names of the poetry and art shared the same names as the as the menu items. Awesome. Um, but that kind of pivoted and evolved through COVID. And my, my wife and I are working on a project called Honeysuckle Provisions, um, which is a larger project um, that's going to open up in the hood in West Philly, nice. uh, where, where, where we live right now. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and that project is going to be anchored in a grocery store. Uh, a meat market and a cafe library. Um, we're marketing it as a community and communal space because you know community centers and grocery stores. Grocery stores used to be community centers right. where people come. They have relationships with their grocer or their butcher or whatever, um, and it was a very neighborhood neighborly thing. Yeah, and there was would, also an educational the, aspect. We know who's coming and going, the comings right. and goings of the neighborhood, etc. It was mm-hmm. like a yeah, center. Mm-hmm. Like dead. Mm-hmm. I remember going to the market with my mom and like dead ass like. The lunch meat guy, like newer, right? You know, yeah. like the the guy who worked the the seafood counter, like newer. Mm-hmm. The woman who worked in the in the in the like you said at the uh, the meat part of the like, station, new, yeah, yeah the butcher station, like new. Yeah, it just mm-hmm. yeah that that is wild. And like we don't really we we kind of take that relationship for granted because not 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 only do I mean, you we trust really that don't person. have like a community though. 
Not anymore. Yeah, not anymore. That's what I'm saying. And that's, well, that's the thing that Honeysuckle's trying trying to do. Yeah. You know, Honeysuckle Provisions is going to be the reestablishment of community and behaviors that we have with people that service our food. Mm-hmm. You know, um, not only is it important from a nutritional standpoint, but from a cultural standpoint, like all the things that exist in black communities right now. Like if you look at I read a statistic that said if black America was its own country, it would be a third world country. You know, and right. so like it's, it's constantly exploited. Um, there's almost no ownership and, uh, and, and and land rights just aren't really a thing in black communities. And so all of that has been disrupted historically and systemically throughout throughout America. And what Honeysuckle is trying to do is reestablish that that identity and purpose as as entrepreneurs, um, not not just being your neighbors, but also being educators and propagators of of, of positivity and ownership in our community. So, yeah, that's. I guess that's the overarching thing, right, which right, is still right, a lot. Right, right. <laughs> so what's the uh, timeline for everything to be up and running? By the end of the year. End of the year, By okay. the end of the year is the goal. Um, and uh, I saw y'all, uh, are, or you have uh, GoFundMe organized. for. Mm-hmm. Is it for that project or for the over, the, the over is it like a- It's for a, real estate. Okay, got it. Mm-hmm. That's for real estate. So the GoFundMe, um, we set at two fifty. Right now we're just over 115000 That's 000. beautiful. Um, which is yes, because yeah. uh, yeah, I was very, like kind of I was man. you know looking through your social media and I'm looking at it and I'm seeing like at one point like it wasn't that much amount of time but it had jumped from like forty something to like close to a hundred like in a pretty short amount of time mm-hmm. so it's you know it's obvious that people you know are supporting and believing the overall vision of what you're trying to bring to life and I just thought that was very very encouraging. Thank you, man. Yeah. Thank you. Uh, let's talk about uh, some. I was going to ask: do, do you have like influences as far as cooking? Like, do you have? Oh, like, tons. Okay, like tons what? of influences. Um, the, my main influence is a woman who's pretty much like the grand dame of Southern cooking, um, Edna Lewis, who okay. a lot of people don't know about, but she was a, a chef and restaurateur in New York for about forty years. But she um, was born and raised in a town called Freetown, Virginia, that was established by her grandparents' generation just after emancipa- uh, emancipation. And she wrote a book called A Taste of Country Cooking that was a, uh, a beautifully written nostalgic um, treatise on on her experience as a, a Virginian. And she okay. brought all of that with her through her cooking. So that's, she's she's the main one. Mm-hmm. Um, Dr. George Washington Carver's another one. Um, John Coltrane's another one. Okay. <laughs> and, the, and like the thought and philosophy of like how he creates. Um, and I mean, I have peers who who encourage me every day. Kurt Evans, who who owns this place called Down North Pizza. Yeah. You know Kurt very well. Oh, okay. He's but, a good friend of ours. Yeah, nice. He's supposed to come here, but he don't like us no more. No, yeah. I'm kidding. I hit him up. <laughs> no, I, I, I trust me. I'll, I'll text him right now. Yeah, um, it's, it's gonna end up. Even a pizza. Yeah. <laughs> um, there's this cat. There's this cat named Johnny Rose in Houston who started his own farm and had a a, a spot called Indigo. Um, okay. In Houston, um, Greg Collier has this place called uh, Leon Louise in uh, in Charlotte. There's, I mean, there's a there's a bunch of yeah. I mean, I could go on and on and on, man. <laughs> I want to learn how to cook. Yeah, like and no, I'm not. I was saying it yesterday. Like mm-hmm. cooking is just, you know, I, I'm 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 a nigga. You know, what I'm saying? <laughs> I just some obey and you know, salt, everything, Little garlic salt, everything, salt, pepper, uh, what was it? salt, pepper, onion powder. Hey there, ever thought about what makes your heart beat a little faster? Oh, you mean like when you discover a new track that just speaks to you? Yeah, or finding a movie that you can't stop thinking about? Well, get ready to feel that excitement all over again because Amazon Prime is here to take your entertainment and shopping experience to the next level. Absolutely. Prime isn't just about getting your packages quicker. It's about diving into a world of endless possibilities. 
from the latest releases to exclusive content you won't find anywhere else. And don't even get me started on the music. Prime offers concert specials that will transport you right to the front room. It's like being at the hottest gigs without leaving your living room. I use Prime to tap in with some of my favorite artists' live shows from any and every genre of music. Trust me, Prime is a game changer. It's like having a personalized superstore and entertainment hub right at your fingertips. So why wait? Head over to Amazon.com forward slash Prime and start experiencing entertainment like never before. And garlic. That's like everything. That just is everything. But I'm dead as I respect cooking. Like when Mm -hmm. you can actually like create, Mm -hmm. you know, you can feel the the, what they say, the love and the food Mm -hmm. and all like you can tell a story with with cooking also. Mm -hmm. Wait, wait, what's your uh on a date? What's your what's your go to if you had to make something, what's your go to? I'm really good at making like the Tuscan salmon. That's become like my thing. You know what I'm saying? Uh, once I found out what heavy cream was, I lost my mind. <laughs> We're cooking. Um, I actually did lobster tails recently. Mm-hmm. Like I did them myself. I bought the little pans and you know butterfly them, and you know mm-hmm. it was, it was, it was, it was a thing. You oh, know, no, what I'm saying? You tr- you're trying, man. But now nah, I want to be able to like just, you know, this is my what, what's the the Thai shit I like? Um, the red curry. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like mm-hmm. this is my red curry shrimp. <laughs> what, I, what I prepare for you today is like I, I want to be able to do that, but I, I just I can't cook. I tried when I was young, my mom, but you mm-hmm. know, older black people, it's like you in the way, right? You know, right, they were right, regimented right. and what yeah, mm-hmm. like I remember my mom, I was I was going to help her make Sunday dinner, and like I went, she had like a a cabinet with like in our dining room with with all these books, like cookbooks and mm-hmm. shit, mm-hmm. but she never really like used them. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I'm Cause, you know, they don't they don't need. Well, you know, shit. older black people just be having shit just to have it in the crib. That's yeah, why they got that the china exactly, cabinet exactly. that you can't you can't touch it. You right. can't touch the shit. So. It, it's basic. <laughs> what is the functional usage right. of anything um, in here? We, we, we quickly a, turn it into one of those older black people. We I got had a, a whole we had bunch a of glass, shit. It was a glass cabinet in the dining room that had all these cookbooks in it. So I remember we was. I forgot what we were making, but I went to go get the cookbooks mm-hmm. and I bought them in the kitchen. My mom was like, yeah, out. out. <laughs> you done. Yeah, yeah, you done. Gordon, <laughs> Gordon, <laughs> Gordon, yeah. Because it's just like you in the way more than anything. Mm-hmm. So mm-hmm. I, I never really learned how to like cook. Mm. So I respect cooking. Yeah. Like, yeah anything yeah. past like dropping wings in the fryer, you know, like it's just, <laughs> all right, you know what you do. Like, <laughs> that shit is it's respectable. Like it's respectable craft. Well, I mean, get, get back into the books, man. I mean, YouTube's a great resource. Yeah. Not everything I do, like, no. I literally go and white ladies tell you to do it on YouTube. <laughs> it's just like, when I bought the Ninja Foodie, that's how I got into that. So, like, your, so just, your food is bland then? That's what, you're, yeah, that's, I mean, that's what you're telling me. No, no. I go get some of the, the hickory brown sugar. I, I tear it up in there. But no, it's like, I, I just, like you said, go on YouTube and mm-hmm. see something. But I mean, like, being able to just do it. Yeah, yeah. Like, I can walk in. For muscle memory. You mm-hmm. ever watch the show where they open up the basket and it's like, you know, a, a, a plunger, a piece of octopus, <laughs> you know what I'm saying? Just stupid shit. And they'll all make meals out mm-hmm. of just nothing. Like, right. that shit is just yeah, respectable. That's, that's, that's magic. Yeah. That's magic. Yeah. They say that men make the best cooks. Agree mm-hmm. or disagree? Absolutely not. Absolutely not. Cooking is a matriarchal act. You know? So, like, I think, I think men have, like strong technical sense and, and, and tactile nature towards things because men just don't think about things holistically and so that doesn't necessarily make it better right it just makes it streamlined 
and 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 women just have this nurturing gift of cultivating love that food needs to be the best that it can possibly be so absolutely not that's probably the best answer to a question <laughs> no that's real, <laughs> <laughs> that's real shit. like your mom could dead as boil hot dogs my dad boiled hot dogs like man they just they boiled hot dogs like, but your mom knew right it is mm-hmm. like a, like yeah 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 man you can feel it Absolutely, absolutely. My, my, your, your mom gave you a, dr- a glass of water. You like <sighs> because like because the, she gave you that glass of water at the right time. Right. Yeah. That's it's not even about the water. Yeah. You know what I mean? It's the extension. That's a perfect yeah. way to describe. That's it. absolutely right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. That is the best answer we've ever gotten on this in, in history. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's, it's bar none. Uh, let's well, talk. Most our, most our guests are rappers, so when you ask them, yeah, man, like, you, you know, I'm just doing my you, thing. You, you feel know? me? I'm, trying, <laughs> you feel me? I'm, I'm dragging on these niggas. <laughs> 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 Feel me, I'm saying. Let's talk about some of the pop up projects that you've done with like different restaurants and collectives and stuff like that. Okay. Um, which, which, how, how would you, uh, if you had to rank them, what would you say are like your top three pop ups that you did? Man, I, I, I don't know. That's that's tough. I, I, I think the best pop up that I that I did is the most recent engagement that I had with um, Blue Hill in New York I saw at that. Stone Barns. But that's because so over four years I've been doing a pop up like pretty much on my own. Okay. Right? And and in that engagement, first of all, I got to thank my wife. She was with me every step of the way, pregnant and everything, helping me do all this stuff. Yeah. Um, but then also there's an army of professional cooks at the top of their game. I mean, this restaurant is perennially one of the best restaurants in the world, ranked on these different um, different platforms. Um, and everyone who works there is there for a purpose, and to, for them to. Uh, create that environment for me where people can take all of my ideas and turn them on to a hundred to a thousand percent made that the best and probably to, in my opinion probably the most important dining experience in recent american history wow um outside of that um you give amazing answers <laughs> <laughs> you're artists yeah real talk <laughs> i um it, it's, it's hard it's hard to rank them because they're all so different you yeah. know um, we, we did do uh, one called Black Labor Day, my wife and I, last year, where we uh, set up shop right right in the middle of West Philly, like at 42nd and Parish in an empty lot where we cooked the whole goat over over uh, wood coals um, and Dang. served four different meals in a box that cost $100 for several different guests. And then uh, people showed up from outside of our community, bought their boxes. But then we also gave boxes to our neighbors and stuff just for free. Um, because you know the people who were coming were mostly like white folks who follow me on Instagram or whatever. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, <clears throat> just you know a mix a mixed bag of people, and my neighbors were super curious, and we made enough because I knew that they would be. Yeah. So as soon as, we, <laughs> as soon as we set up the grill, you know niggas come out the woodwork, right? They're like, man, I've been yeah. here for forty years, man. What the fuck, you know, yeah, whatever. So uh, gaining trust, you know, is yeah. something I think is is, is important. And um, planting roots in Philadelphia after having been away for so long. Um, doing a pop up like that called you know Black Labor Day is is a, a holiday that we created that happens before Labor Day, right? Um, that acknowledges um, the the agricultural and economic influence that that Black labor has helped um, has not helped but is responsible for creating this right. American opulence that we live in. So we took a bunch of different ingredients like um, rice, coffee, indigo, uh, cotton. And they were all represented in sugarcane, all represented in some way within this box and in every dish. Um, and then the, the boxes were uh, collages of indigo and coffee hey. and rice. 
Um, and so that was that was a really beautiful one. But all the other ones that were like the multi-course ones, they were almost the same and equal um, because they're so thematic and have different perspectives in each one. Gotcha. Um, I, I, I can't get over this. <laughs> this, this, this nigga isn't answering things. <laughs> a, a machine. I, I'm going to train myself to do that. <laughs> like, yo, Matt, what's your favorite sneaker of the year? You first have to ask yourself, what is this? <laughs> and what is the purpose of the sneaker? You know what I'm like? Shit, that, that shit is <laughs> uh, this is probably going to be a tough question, but what are you most proud of in your culinary career so far? So far? Um, my son's Bashir. He's 14 years old. And like the, the the first thing that I ever said to him that I was gonna like in his ear, I uh, I prayed um, shahada in his ear. I told him I would never leave him, and the last thing I said was I would give him a skill. And so the thing that I'm most proud of is that I've worked really hard to get to the point where I am, where like not only am I going to be able to give him a skill, and um, uh, my wife's pregnant, so Jupiter is is his name. Yeah. Um, they're both going to have skills and a business and a farm to step onto that say that they that's theirs. That's beautiful. That's. This <laughs> <laughs> I mean, you had you had people, uh, you know, you had really corny as shit. That's <laughs> it's like, it's like, I don't have enough depth. I'm like, no, dog. No, not at all, man. You you had people like, uh, you know, like Dame Dash that speak a lot about, uh, you know, legacy and mm-hmm. like, you know, hustling for your last name and not your first, and you know, um, being able to pass something to, uh, you know, to to your children. Um, mm-hmm. So that's. You know, that's somebody that we, you know, we champion a lot um, mm-hmm. on this show as far as like his ethos and, you know, maybe not all his business tactics, but. Yeah. <laughs> I watched the episode of the Dame Dash show the other day on YouTube. Did you ever see that? No. He he had like people competing to be like his his intern. Oh, shit. Yeah. And he sat them all at like a big round table, like a big, you know, a, yeah. a conference table. And he was sitting at the end. He was like, you're born and you die. Your life. Is the dash? I'm like, Dame is crazy. Yo, that's bars. <laughs> <laughs> Dame is crazy as shit. <laughs> and I'm like, Yo, your life really is the dash. <laughs> Real shit. I'm like, Dame is nuts. I was at a, uh, I was at a funeral, and uh, a preacher said something to the similar effect. He was like, You, you got to focus on that dash, Yo. like. He was he was going in he about said, the dash. Your life is the dash. But I'm I bring like, that up man. because you're probably the first person that we've had on the show. We had a lot of guests on the show. We had lawyers, uh, elected officials, all that to talk about like legacy. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. And the fact of like being able to give your children something tangible mm-hmm. and being able to give them a skill, give them a farm, a business, mm-hmm. all of that. And that's how we create, um, you know, how we create generational wealth mm-hmm. and sustainability within the family structure of being able to know, like, at 14, your son knows this is what I got to look forward to. Mm-hmm. I think that's really powerful. Yeah, that's decent. Yeah, man. Yeah. yeah. Doing, doing, doing the work out here, man. Trying. For sure. Let's talk about some of these accolades. How did it feel? when you found out that you won not only uh Esquire's pop up of the year but also chef of the year uh man so i was i was at a supermarket with my wife we were shopping this is about to be good i uh we were looking for olive oil actually i remember exactly what happened cuz you know we were walking she was talking to her mom 
And I got a phone call from Jeff Gordon-Yer, who at the time was the food editor, editor of Esquire. He came to a um, Honeysuckle pop-up in, in New York. And he was like, you know, I'm just calling to tell you you're going to be chef of the year, but you can't tell nobody. And I'm like, all right. So like, I can't. What the fuck you mean you can't tell nobody? <laughs> <laughs> tell everybody. Right? Yeah. So, I mean, I was mad excited. I, I, I told my family. But, like, that award, it's kind of like I was I was surprised and happy, but also, like, it felt deserved. You know what I mean? Because you did the work. I did, I did the work, right? So, like, if you're playing basketball and you're Michael Jordan and then, like, you're playing your, your ass off so you could become MVP and then you – you know, you become the MVP and be like, yo, I can't believe it. Like, why don't you believe it? You were fucking working your ass off. <laughs> right. like, you know, so like that's kind of how it felt. But also, you know, given the climate of last year, 2020, and like not to take anything away from this award or Jeff Gornier, who's like a great dude. But I also understand that like the world shifted. The yeah. way that the way that um, the way all we these, consume things, shifted. right? The way we consume things, the way that we honor people changed. Who we're honoring changed. Um, there's a huge overcorrection of like just making everything black. You know what I mean? Like, Hey, which, which is which is yo. which is great and also like really uncomfortably interesting at the same yeah, time. A little bit of pandering <laughs> yeah, going on, exactly. Yeah. And so, like, um, if I'm being 100 percent honest and transparent, like when I got that award, I was like, "But really, though, you know, do you do y'all really think that am I'm I really the chef of the year? Right. And I mean, I am because <laughs> I felt you know the work that I've done qualifies me for. It. But if none of this was going on, am I in that conversation? You know what I mean? So, um. Were you the first black to win the award? No. Okay. No, no. There was another chef, I think, two years prior, Kwame Onowache, who, who, okay, who, okay. I've who, seen that who won it. But, like, my cynical <laughs> ass just, like, you know, makes me <laughs> makes me like, think those I things. Did I win or did I win? Like, win? If I'm being 100% honest, like, I just I, I battle, like, all sorts of, like, imposter syndrome and insecurity and all that kind of stuff. And I think that has to, a lot to do with the challenges of, of my upbringing. A little bit of, like, a pessimist. Uh, right, yeah, oh, yeah, a little bit. A <laughs> little bit. Yeah. Um, but, you know, I, I kind of... What happened afterwards was like, it doesn't matter, you know, um, it's given me the opportunity to speak from this position in the way that I think others who may have won this award would not speak from. Like, Absolutely. I'm not, I'm not here to bullshit nobody. You know what I mean? Like the work that I do is, is, is Afrocentric. It's black American centric. It is, it is focused on um, the, the acknowledgement of our existence and joy, pain, pleasure in, in all, in all forms. Period. You know what I mean? So, like, I, I like to equate the work that I do to a musician, to, to like, like I said, like John Coltrane or, like, Kendrick Lamar, who are also huge influences on how I perceive my work, or writers like James Baldwin, who is another big influence, Ta-Nehisi Coates. You know, like, yeah. these people are doing exemplary work and they're being recognized internationally, but that's also at the same time. Um, like, the word unapologetic is, is often used, but, like, it's beyond that. It just is, right. you know, because that's what every other that's – what, that's what white people get to do. They just, they just get to show up white, just right? just exists. <laughs> <laughs> this, is like, this is like Umar with a spatula. <laughs> crazy. Yeah. You know, so um, I, f I felt like it was a great way for me to, to, to celebrate myself, but then also – um, be ubiquitous and magnanimous in the way that I get to share that with my community. Right. You know what I mean? Um, another scenario, Time Magazine's 100 People to Watch for 2021. Mm -hmm. um, let's talk about that experience, where you was when you found out, and what type of doors something like that has opened for you. Well, that's the one where I cried. Like, it was a, it was a single tear. But <laughs> <laughs> so, um, so at that time... Uh, I was sleeping on my mom's floor. Like I moved back, I moved back to Philly, um, March, March 17th of 2020. I was like pretty much sleeping on my mom's floor. It's a comfortable floor, yeah, you know, yeah but yeah. it's a floor. Floor nonetheless. <laughs> <laughs> um, and I, I had 
like a really hard day that day doing I can't remember what I was doing but it was like it was 10 after midnight and actually the person from time had sent me that email like four days prior with a with a, a, a cryptic email that said oh we, we want you to work on a project with us or something like that I'm like eh, whatever right yeah and then when I responded they were like well actually we're naming you on the time 100 next list and I was like what like that's the one that I didn't expect you know like for this work that's you know food centric um, culture like you know yeah. culturally relevant but internationally recognized as a as a as something progressive that that should be watched and continue to be followed for years to come is like wow you know yeah um, yeah that's heavy yeah yeah. yeah. So as a result of these accolades and things that you got, are there like random white people trying to give you money and stuff now? <laughs> like just like trying to invest in, you know, the honeysuckle brand and into, you know, Omar Tate specifically. Has your life changed as a result of all of these accolades? Uh yes and no. Um, yes and that. Like it's not even just random white people. So it's all sorts of people coming out of the yeah. work being interested in what I'm doing. But also at the same time, I think that what I do is perceived as radical for a lot of people. Gotcha. You know, um, there there are black people that really um, I, I've never I didn't really recognize that it was like this because I was I'm living it. But like, I guess I speak from a a, a, a confidence or or like a sense of like um, internal empowerment that I think is scary to a lot of people. Um, it's scary to a lot of like brands don't come at me. A little shit. too self aware. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you know what I mean. Like there's a there's an honesty that you know that I that I come that I come to this work with that I think um, it, it kind of just like kind of scares some people. So right, um, it's, it's open doors for people who are open to that, and then just like I guess the, the same doors that have been closed are closed because of right. they super closed now. <laughs> probably, <laughs> yeah. probably. But yeah. I mean, look, honestly, like I don't, I don't, I don't give a fuck. Like because yeah. the thing is, like the work that the work that I'm doing um, is is, is going to be defined by by the parameters that I that I'm building it with. You know, right. it's going to it has to have this architecture. You made me think about the Olympics. You know, you can't wear the Black Lives Matter shirts. The Olympics. Really? Yeah, they put out a thing the other day. They banned the Black Lives Matter shirts. And if you get on the podium and do a fist fist or kneel, Mm -hmm. you grounds for suspension and all this other stuff. Wow. I'm just like, damn. Like, the Olympic Committee put that out, though. I was just like, damn. But that's the bullshit I'm talking about. Like, like, these, all these things have been built, right? Like, the Olympics, the Oscars, the NFL, whatever. Uh, we're living in a time where there's more like consolidated black money, black influ- influence. If we really pay attention to what was what's going on in the world, um, blackness and black culture is is the bar, mm-hmm. right? Absolutely. So like, obviously, it's going to take a long time to like build all our own stuff. But instead of like saying, please, 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 give me an Oscar. Just like fuck it. Let's build our own. <laughs> you know what I mean? Like that's, yeah. that's that's what we were doing when we had less power. You know, boycotting stuff and doing yeah, but this. The problem and doing is, all that. is like when we do the the awards, no one comes, and no, you know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. It's like it's, it, people don't take it as serious, right? For the, for what, the what do you think would uh it would need to happen for people to take it more serious? Like to respect these black institutions of success more than what they already are. Like a, a lot of them happen uh, by mirroring white culture. You know what I mean? Like the Black Oscars, for, like you know, <laughs> people would call it the Black Oscars. Like, no, it's something entirely different. Yeah, it's its own like, thing. You know, like I, I think about things like the Black Power movement, right, in the 1970s. You know, when um, 
so many different like the black arts movement and so many different entities like like Soul Train for example is the blackest thing that ever happened on, in television right. history right. it had nothing to do with American Bandstand it had nothing to do with fucking Dick Van Dyke or whoever the fuck you know yeah. <laughs> um, it didn't have nothing to do with nothing but other everyone than was there everyone everyone was there and what it did was beyond it just being like a very black thing it drew the world at right. large into it like and even, made it a staple even when you look at like the Grammys you know the Grammys come around and I mean like Drake and Rihanna and mm-hmm. Beyonce and mm-hmm. Jay-Z and all of these Kanye, all these people are there. Mm-hmm. When the, the hip-hop awards come around, you know who's the biggest artist there? It's the baby. <laughs> and he's dressed like the Riddler. You know what I'm saying? Like that's the that's the what niggler. It, the niggler. <laughs> <laughs> like, like that, so it's like you'd have to get everyone to be a part of it. Right. If that happens, mm-hmm. yeah. <laughs> That's what it is. So it's like mm-hmm. you'd have to get everyone to be a part of it and really take it like the same way it's like coming to the Oscars and what are you wearing and mm-hmm. you know who did the yeah. gown and it would have to be the same thing. Because even mm-hmm. when you. Hey, it's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Look at the even with like the the Met like when they do the big thing at the Met, mm-hmm. the big thing is what is w- they waiting to see Cardi B? They waiting to mm-hmm. see yeah. you know Kanye and Kim Kardashian? It's, mm-hmm. it's just like it have to be the same thing mm-hmm. for whatever we decide to right. do, you know. Mm-hmm. But it's hard. I mean, like there's there's no real clear answers, right? Right. But I, I think answer number one is like saying fuck that. I'm going to raise my fist. Fuck that. I'm going right. to you know wear my Black Lives Matter T-shirt yeah. if that's what I want to wear. Or, I just thought it was interesting that the Olympic Committee came out and said that about BLM and didn't say that about Stop Asian Hate, right. Gay and Lesbian Alliance. I mean, they didn't say it about any of these other mm-hmm. things. It's just like any of that. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right, right. So, uh, I, you know. There's, uh, there's always been just a, a global yeah. <laughs> assault yeah. on blackness. Yeah. You know what I mean? And the, the Olympics saying that. That's them speaking for the world. That's not them speaking for just the United Exactly. This is this, this, the Olympics is the United Nations of spring <laughs> events. Right. So if they saying that, that's a united front that they have mm-hmm. amongst everybody that no black, no pro-black propaganda. We right. not going for it. Right. Yeah. And that's some scary shit. Yeah. yeah. So in turn, the black athletes probably shouldn't participate. But for some of them, this is this is the, all they have, this, and this, this is their right, biggest right. stage. So it's like, mm-hmm. you know, if I don't do this, then this don't happen. Then there's a domino effect to them mm-hmm. potentially boycotting. Right. Because nobody's not, Robert Smith or Jay-Z not going to step up and say, all right, well, I'm going to give you whatever you missed as a result of abstaining from participating in this blatantly racist institution. It is crazy. Like he said, it's just it's many layers. Yeah, mm-hmm. all of no, and sometimes mm-hmm. you gotta go along to get along, unfortunately, yeah. and it sucks. It's America. It's America. <laughs> <laughs> it's America. So, uh, kind of wrapping up, man. What can we look forward to from yourself and from uh, Honeysuckle Projects, Honeysuckle Provisions for 2021 and beyond? Um, so we're doing Black Labor Day again, awesome. Um, which is also going to be. Are like grand opening for uh, we're launching virtually as a as a virtual grocery store where people can do can pick up. Um, we'll do drop offs and 
be shipping nationally. So that's 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 the big thing. Wow, that's, happening. Wow. that's big. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, I'm excited for that. I'm excited yeah. for that. Um, other than that, man, I'm I'm really trying to slow my life down um, <laughs> because uh, uh, Sybil's expecting. Well, we're expecting June 9th. Congratulations! So, yeah. Thank you, thank you. So, just trying to set up the home. Uh, you know. People want to uh, support the movement, donate to the uh, GoFundMe. Where can they find you? Find uh, that link and stuff like that in order to uh, be able to do so. Um. That would be GoFundMe. Honey, if you type in Honeysuckle, it'll pop up. It'll, Honeysuckle GoFundMe, it'll pop right up. Other than that, updates you can look at Honeysuckle underscore projects on Instagram. Um, Honeysuckle underscore provisions, which is actually the name of the actual concept. Um, and then my personal page is Coltrane215. Oh, that, yeah, I've seen it. All right. Yeah, 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 yeah. It all came full circle. Because I've seen the name and I've been mm-hmm. on the page. I didn't, I, I, in my mind, I just thought your page was. There's yeah. not a lot of pictures of me on my page. No, I'm just saying I thought it would be, you know, once you make it to where you're successful, you know, mm-hmm. I am Omar Tate. Like, I just mm-hmm. thought it would be something like the real Omar Tate or something. Like I just. You know, first uh, thing I noticed once I, you know, was going through all of your different your uh, accomplishments in the media, I'm like, why isn't his page verified? Uh, they need to verify you. Yeah, again, yeah, I, I, yeah, think, I mean, you, you don't know. do more official than time at Esquire. Yeah, like, right. I'm, I'm really not sure how that works. You know? Are you verified? No. Okay. I'm just a podcast. No, they would never. <laughs> I'm trying. Yeah, Gordon, you out. Yeah, it got me up out of here. On uh, the drone where you can uh, ask to be verified and yeah. you give you information and then it has the little message on I typed in I also have $50. <laughs> <laughs> I'll get, pay. Are, are, are any of those things real? Like, to, to get verified? Yeah, apparently what people told me is you they have to write articles about you. Yeah, you have to have makes, five verified articles, not Wikipedia. It has to be, you have to have a, a Wikipedia, Wikipedia page. plus five verified articles no. from real media publications. I ain't got no Wikipedia page. Or you can backdoor it like you get in the, you want to get your kid into Stanford for like, <laughs> <laughs> like you, know. you can pay a guy that knows somebody yeah. that works at IG headquarters. Get you in the side door. Get you in the yeah. side maybe, door. Maybe, maybe they'll hear this conversation and you know. Hey, we'll, we'll put it out there, man. Y'all need to need to verify we're, we're, my man we're, here. We're blowing up on YouTube. <laughs> <laughs> it might be. Uh, anything else that you feel like is relevant, important, or any message you want to deliver to the audience before we get out of here? Oh man. Uh, you want you want to be here for another three hours? Or <laughs> hey, what? man, that's whatever. It's <laughs> on you, brother. No, man, I I, say he's, he's about to go in on that. Right? No, no, man, I just this is about just, to be like a lemon pepper freestyle. I used to write too, man. You know, we, to we all did. We all did. <laughs> I mean, I could see you actually writing some some hot stuff. Yeah, I can believe it. <laughs> it was good. Yeah. Um, but anyway, that's another like. Yeah. I know you had some mean hollow bars. Yeah. Listen, man. It was that was a different time. Um, I was actually I wasn't even rapping when I was in the Hollow. I was spending a lot of time in West Philly, man. But like, um, actually, when when uh, when I was living in the Hollow, uh, when I was growing up in the Hollow, I got I got shot, and a rapper named Spittish um, was murdered um, around that you know on that same. That I, same remember Spittish. Spittish. Yeah, I remember Spittish. So while while while, while we're on that time, yeah, recipes Tech Nine, recipes yeah. Spittish. I mean, I ain't been back there in a long time, but yeah. like, you know, we grew up together and all that. So. I remember Spittish had a freestyle over the Lalo beat that I went crazy for back in the day. And I, if literally you said the first word right now, I could run that whole freestyle off. Do you know uh, Ali Cusses? Uh, I mean, I, I used to. I grew up yeah, with yeah, I, don't, yeah. You know, yeah, I don't know more like that now, but yeah. Gotcha. Yeah, it's a good friend of mine. That's what's up, man. Damn, Spittish. I remember that. <laughs> yeah, you ain't heard that name in a long time. Yeah, right? yeah. 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 You've so, been around. Anything been you want to tell the people, mm-hmm. oh, share... Shoot. 
anything, whatever. It could be whatever. You can say fucking police. I don't care. <laughs> like whatever, whatever you want to, you know, you want to say, man, we got a global audience. So, yeah. you know, we, we before we wrap, I want to say we appreciate you for, for joining us today, coming on the show. Um, you know, like I said in the beginning, you somebody that has transformed what it means to be involved in the culinary arts and just arts in general, especially mm -hmm. coming from the inner city. You overcame a lot and you've you know you you reached a very high height but you got still got a lot more uh growing to do and uh we appreciate you coming through today it's your birthday tomorrow yeah yeah, 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 yeah. Um, yeah thank you sagittarius nah i don't know Taurus. <laughs> <laughs> so, uh, i just guess all the time sometimes i don't know sometimes i don't, no, I don't fucking i mean I, I don't i don't really have a whole lot to say man um, I just I appreciate y'all, man. This was dope, no doubt. Thank, th thanks for reaching out, man. I I, I hope y'all get verified real soon. Yeah. I hope so too. <laughs> <laughs> and I want I want I want to see this thing grow because I think you know, especially for for Philly, like this is something that's special. Yeah, you know what I mean. Yeah, we do. I mean, we're doing the groundwork. You know, we've had a, a recent run of a lot of success, a lot of uh, growth with yeah. the show, and uh, somebody like you is definitely a good friend to have in the Rolodex because you know, like I say, you got a lot more growing to do, and when you do. Yo, I'm back. Yeah, I'm back, man. Absolutely. Yeah. So, we uh, some claps from Omar Tate. We need it. <laughs> nah, this, was, this was very, very good. This was this is actually one of my favorite interviews. Without a doubt, man. We appreciate your time. Thank you for coming through today. Make sure y'all support Honeysuckle Projects, Honeysuckle Provisions. Omar Tate, follow him on the gram at Coltrane215. Everything spelled out uh, correctly. And uh, that's it, man. Roast Podcast Ever. We out. Yeah. Peace. Everybody loves McDonald's fries. So, yes, you accused your mom of stealing some of your fries on the way home. Um, but the bag did feel a little light. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. -ba -ba.